0: Hello and welcome to Sharp China. I'm Andrew Sharp and you are listening to a free preview of today's episode.
1: And then again, whether or not they end up being true, sometimes sometimes they do. And sometimes the market, people have moved on and you don't even, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. They have their effect.
0: Well, one thing that is true is that the PRC markets have seen a $7 trillion route in value since 2021. And Bloomberg quoted an analyst who said, we are now at an inflection point unseen in the past decades. So zooming out as we approach the Lunar New Year holiday, a listener named James emailed us this article from Paul Krugman recently, and he writes... These problems have been fairly obvious for at least a decade and he's referring to structural issues with the economy.
1: And, and Krugman has been writing columns for at least a decade that China was about to collapse. He has a famous one about like I forget what it was called, but I, when I had a column at deal Book in the New York Times back in like 2000 and I don't know, maybe like 2012, I remember writing about something he wrote about how China was about to basically the great wall of debt or something was about to crush China. And it didn't. So (laughs) that's an important data point, you know, as we consider all of this.
0: Um, And so he continues and says, why are they only becoming acute now? Well, international economists are fond of citing Dornbush's law, quote, the crisis takes a much longer time coming than you think, and then it happens much faster than you would have thought. What happened in China's case was that the government was able to mask the problem of inadequate consumer spending for a number of years by promoting a gigantic real estate bubble. In fact, China's real estate sector became insanely large by international standards, but bubbles eventually burst. To outside observers, what China must do seems straightforward. End financial repression and allow more of the economy's income to flow through to households and strengthen the social safety net so that consumers don't feel the need to hoard cash. And as it does this, it can ramp down its unsustainable investment spending. But there are powerful players, especially state-owned enterprises, that benefit from financial repression. And when it comes to strengthening the safety net, the leader of this supposedly communist regime sounds a bit like the governor of Mississippi denouncing welfareism that creates, quote, lazy people. So does that read like an accurate overview of where we are right now, where on one hand, the PRC has this massive housing bubble that appears to be bursting, and then on the other, there's the lack of consumer demand that's creating deflationary pressure that's tanking the rest of the economy and making a recovery even harder? Does that make sense, or is there nuance that's being elided?
1: Well, the economy is not doing great. It's very hard to argue the straight face that things are great. In fact, most serious Chinese economists will tell you all these problems and highlight some of the things that Krugman raises. Um, it is important, though, I think, to also recognize that one of the things that's been going on with the real estate market is that whether or not the sort of real estate slump was inevitable or there would be some sort of a crash, the top leadership has been trying to reduce the role of real estate in the economy and. Uh, deflate the bubble without a crash for several years now. They've yeah. taken, undertaken a series of policies that have ultimately led to this distress in the real estate market. And so it's not like they don't know what the risks are. And it's not, you know, one of, the, one of the issues I think is that they didn't realize how bad it was. And so their policies have maybe tipped it further than they wanted. But the idea that they're unaware, you know, again, not, I don't think, valid. I think also though, stepping back, From the Beijing government's perspective, you know, she is very much focused on this idea, you know, transitioning to high quality growth, this new development concept, you know, they want to change from the old model. And at the same time, they're doing all sorts of things to harden the system and harden society. So I think they're willing to actually withstand a lot more pain from a sort of a policymaker level than Most people outside will assume, and probably most people inside China would like. Mm -hmm. And also, because they control the, you know, it's it's a basically closed financial system, they do have the ability to manage in ways that most likely will avoid some sort of a crash. But ultimately, I think no one serious will argue that the days of the go-go years, the high growth, you know, high GDP growth, they're not coming back. The economy is transitioning; it's a painful transition. It's going into a much slower growth um, era, so to speak. But I think ultimately, you know, the whole question of sort of getting more money to households, you know, there's all some economists, even Chinese economists say, well, they need to, you know, you need to basically just sort of helicopter money in and give each household, you know, a thousand yuan or a few thousand right. yuan, uh, you know. She clearly, they haven't done it so far. There, there clearly, there are advisors who are telling the, the government to do that. They're not doing it for whatever reason. And it may be, you know, she doesn't, you know, there's been reporting that she's ideologically opposed to that. That may be true. We don't know for sure. It also may be that giving people 5,000 RMB, they may just save it, right? It right. may actually not, it may actually not spur more consumption. And going back to what Krugman's saying, so in 2013, we'll put a link into it, he had his. July 2013, he had an opinion piece called Hitting China's Wall, mm-hmm. uh, where he makes some of these similar arguments. And yet here we are 11 years later, and it's still going. It's We've talked about this. It's going to be a long, painful grind. Right. But I think that the government understands that, and they are prepared for this grind, and they're willing to tolerate more pain than, again, I think a lot of economists assume they are, and a lot of investors assume they are, and a lot of people want them to be. So that's why... One of the reasons I think we've seen this continual disappointment, you know, stimulus, where's the stimulus? Because every time something you know, get some bad data or the market goes down, you get this, oh, well, they'll just become more pragmatic and put out more stimulus and then everything will be great. And I think really from the top level, the view is we have to change the economic model and it's going to be a grind and we are going to grind through this.
0: Yeah, no, and it will be interesting to see whether that guidance changes somewhere along the way here. Because when we finished recording last week, one thing that occurred to me is that a lot of the plenum watch and stimulus speculation, it takes me back to the COVID policies where toward the end, you had the entire world watching as it became clearer and clearer that Beijing's plan was just disastrous in certain respects. And then one day... Overnight, it off everything changes. Right. Yeah, and, and, and
1: that and that's the argument people make is well, they'll they'll have to wake up to reality at some point, and then they'll have to revert. Right, they'll have to revert to, you know, some sort of like a tarp like thing where they basically the central government just takes on all the bad debt from like the local governments and. And and frankly, from the real estate firms.
0: It's the only argument that makes sense alongside all the other signals from Beijing and all the opportunities they've had to take action where they just haven't taken that drastic action. The one thing you can say alongside all that is look, In the past, there have been situations where policies have changed out of nowhere. Right. And And, we're getting to a point where Beijing may not have a choice at the end of all this.
1: And that that logic makes sense. One of the questions, though, is, well, what's the pain threshold? And, you know, does, say, Xi Jinping have a higher pain threshold than investors or foreign investors or Chinese citizens? You know and, and so, and so again, what looks like, oh my God, they have to do something to to us or to an outside observer may just be like, "Yeah, you know this is bad, but we 're ready for bad because this is what we 're preparing for because we are transitioning the model, and we will we need to get to a different model that is you know allows China to be more innovative you know they 've been talking this new concept that what 's called this new productive forces, uh, and you know they 're making a huge deal about it it 's just a new addition to the Marxist theory of production. And, and productive forces, but it's really all about transitioning to innovation, innovative, high-tech sectors in the economy to have mm-hmm. much more high-quality growth, lower growth, but higher quality. And, and I think this is, again, there, there's, it's not like that was ever going to be an easy transition. I think it has turned out to be uglier and harder than probably the leadership wanted or, or expected. But it isn't clear to me that they have a choice where you know, the, the, what they have been adding stimulus and bits and pieces to basically keep things together. But there's a difference between keeping the wheels from coming off and pumping a bunch of money into pop things up again.
0: Right. And investors just don't know whether the ground will shift underneath them tomorrow or in right, a and, week and a month. And, and that's the core issue, ultimately.
1: Right. And also, if, you're, if the focus is keeping things together versus popping it up, well, that's not as exciting for a lot of investors. You know, there always should always be sectors that are opportunities to invest in, but it's a lot harder. Certainly, and, and we don't, we're not, we don't forecast the market. We don't recommend buying or selling stocks. Certainly, though, you know, one of the things that I think has people wondering if they should dip their toe in is like what happened with COVID, where they ripped the bandit off and stocks went up 30, 40%. Mm hmm. And then they went back down, right? But, but do you miss that moment where they announce something or something gets interpreted as they're shifting, they're becoming more pragmatic, they're going to pump more money out, that they really want the market up, and then you get this crazy rally. Yeah. Well, and the reason it's
0: a recurring topic on this podcast is because it continues to be one of the biggest stories in the world with investors all over the world and analysts and everyone is sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop and waiting to see what actions the government may take. And there's this seesaw on a daily basis with the markets, at least until the New Year holiday mercifully arrives and gives everyone a break for a little while. But uh, it it's not a story that's going away. And it at present, I mean, it's anyone's guess as to how exactly this resolves or when it may stabilize or what the government may do. So, well, I'll just have to wait and see. But it's a, it's a fascinating window into how decisions get made under Xi, because from the outside, we're all just sort of left – guessing and seizing on whispers and like a game of telephone. And this is the second largest economy in the world.
1: Well, I mean, the thing is, is the government, you know, you know, there has the people some question, well, does she even care about the markets? I think the answer is they care up to a point. They care when it gets bad because people care. There are a lot of individuals who invest in the markets and, you know, no one's making any, I should say, very few people are making money in any anywhere right now in the PRC. And that's depressing. And that leads to people being uh, unhappy. And you're going into the new year and you don't want to go in the new year with the market crashing. Right. It's just bad. It's inauspicious. It's just every, you know, you go home, you you talk to your friends. You know, this is a a week of seeing friends and family and eating. And, you know, that was a real
0: concern. People were saying the gloom could spread because families are gathering and swapping stories.
1: And and it it may still spread, but... But at least some, you know, at least it won't be as like, oh my God, the market's at, you know, 2,500. It's collapsing before, the last day before the new year, right? So, so, so this was, I don't want to say mission accomplished, but certainly they have gotten where I think they, at least where they wanted to be before the, the holiday break. All right. And that is the end
0: of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of today's conversation and get access to full episodes of Sharp China each week, You can go to your show notes and subscribe to either Bill's newsletter, Cynicism, or the Stratechery Bundle, which includes several other podcasts from me and daily writing from my friend Ben Thompson. I'm an incredibly biased news consumer, so I think both are indispensable resources. But either way, Bill and I are going to be here every week talking all things China, and we would love to have you on board. So check out your show notes, subscribe, and we will talk to you soon.